It's a ghost story, a love story, it's a terrible tragedy. Hello and welcome to the Young Vic podcast. In this episode, we will look at Hamlet to tie in with the Young Vic's production starring Kush Jumbo. We will look at how the play continues to inspire and intrigue audiences, artists and students. Designer Anna Fleischler will be talking about how she brought the world of Hamlet to life visually. And I will be talking to Louise Owen from Birkbeck University of London about some of the questions that the play brings up for our times. And finally, we are very excited to feature a brand new audio piece created especially for the Young Vic podcast. The Man and His Soul is written by Nana Kofi Kofuor. It connects to the Young Vic's previous production of Changing Destiny, but also continues in the spirit of Hamlet, the theme of fathers and sons. That's at the end of this episode. My name is Tonki, and let's start with a deep dive into the world of Hamlet. Okay, so let's start with a quick three-minute reminder of what Hamlet is about. And to do this, we asked you. We went out into Lambeth and Southwark, onto the streets around the Young Vic, and asked as many people as would speak to us if they could help us piece together the story of Hamlet from what they knew or remembered of the play. Hamlet. 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 Hamilton. Hamlet. Hamlet. Oh, Lord God, I have no idea. I was never any good with Shakespeare, sorry. I have no idea what Hamlet is about. I just know Shakespeare wrote it, and that's it. I looked into it in English literature, maybe. Mel Gibson, his first serious role. I remember studying it in high school and literally just completely forgetting about it. No, Hamlet's one of the witches. Oh, no, I'm thinking of Macbeth. Bloody hell, I should know this, actually, because I'm an actor. Well, it's all about families, isn't it? I think it's about murder and things. Uh, Hamlet is about indecision, depression and daddy issues. So it's about the Prince of Denmark. He was Dutch, wasn't he? <laughs> Danish prince. Danish, yeah. uh, it's about a young man um, whose father is murdered. I remember that he is dad was killed. Someone kills his dad. Through poison, I think it was. I think it's a king that gets uh, assassinated. Uncle takes over the throne and marries his mother and he's really hacked off about that. And then he kind of goes around seeking revenge on the uncle. And he comes back to Denmark to confront his new father-in-law and meets his father's ghost who says, yes, I was murdered. Hang on, no, wasn't Hamlet the one that... Oh no, I'm still thinking of Macbeth with a wife. <laughs> There's um, the the jealous mother of the prince. And then there's Ophelia who's in love with him but then commits suicide. There's uh, Ophelia. Um, who drowns herself. Who uh, dies yeah, for the love Hamlet. of Hamlet. Uh, he goes crazy? Or <laughs> Sorry, I saw like once like, a long time ago and the actor went, did a good job at acting crazy. Everyone dies. Uh, Ophelia drowns. Two clowns sit in a grave with a skull. And then he has this whole thing about to be or not to be, and then I can't remember how it ends. <laughs> to be or not to be? To be or not no. to be, that is the question. Oh, to be or not to be, of course, that is the real question. That's Whether right. is nobler in the mind or slings and arrows of outrageous <laughs> fortune, something like that. And then he spends about two hours thinking, shall I avenge him, shall I not avenge him, shall I avenge him, shall I not avenge him, and eventually he does avenge him. Gets revenge, or doesn't. 
I'm not going to ruin the ending for you. <laughs> to be or not to be. That's a question. How do you bring the world of Hamlet to life? How do you make its setting, the court of Elsinore, mean something to a contemporary audience? To unpack this, I talked to the stage and costume designer of the Young Vic's production, Anna Fleischler. Anna is an Olivier Evening Standard and Critics Circle Award-winning designer for theatre and opera. She's worked at the Young Vic numerous times, most recently on Death of a Salesman. Anna, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Could I ask you to describe for our listeners what your design for Hamlet looks like? It's a, um, it's a kind of space that I think um, has a, a kind of sense of um, grandeur to it. So something that's quite imposing and impressive and, and has a kind of idea of um, big shapes, architectural shapes in a kind of quite um, psychologically um, deliberate positioning in a way that has to do with a sense of power and with a sense of um, uh, structure and um, and uh, you know the, and and that um, psychology I think has to do with where the human being is placed within that you know if you're kind of if you walk towards a temple and it's got these big columns and they're quite symmetrical and you walk up to it then there is that you have that sense of something that's bigger than you and that's important and it, it so it's not just about what that feels like it's also what it makes you feel like and um, and then uh, I decided um, or kind of had this idea about um, covering everything in a kind of gold finish and the idea in that being that of course gold is something that we um connect with uh um you know wealth and power and um something glamorous whether it's used in churches or in palaces or in hotels um and it has that quality of reflecting back at you and I was playing quite a bit with different intensities of that so there are areas that just kind of give a a glimmer of something and then there are areas that are slightly mirrored and you see some shapes and then there are areas where you can really reflect something back and I quite like the idea that that's unpredictable and it changes sometimes and you never quite know know how much of it you're going to have thrown back at you. Yeah that's definitely one of the things that strikes you when you look at your design it's this structure that looks both like it's made out of stone and out of gold and it has these these imposing structures within it that have a, a psychological effect because people hide behind them or might be overheard from behind them. And of course, it reflects light and the image of the performers. Mm. And can you tell us, when you started your design process for this, what were some of the clues that you looked for in the text? Yeah, I think um, the ghost and the fact that there is a whole um, supernatural other world to the play, I think... Um, is something that um, I considered right from the beginning as, um, you know, I think these kind of things are um, important and work best if they feel like they're um, part of the fabric of a space. So it's not something that's just, you know, you don't think about the space in itself and then it's something that happens by the side. It's kind of integral to, um, to the setting and it's integral to the mindset, I think, that Hamlet is in. And um, and so I think one of the things that was really clear to me right from the beginning is that these things are one and the same, and um, and that whatever the the location and the setting would be for this um, production needed to feel like it's a space that 
allows that, that gives room to, um, um, yeah, to different ways of um, perceiving space, I guess, and what's within it. And what were some of those different ways you wanted the audience to perceive the space? There's a whole thing about um, the idea that, you know, you go somewhere, you spend a moment in a space, and so you've been there, when you leave, is there something left of the presence that you had there for a moment and then sometimes obviously the presence is much bigger than that it might be your entire life or it's it's just the idea of um accumulation i guess of story and presence of human beings that um i think in some places we all somehow sense you know you go into an old cathedral and i think some of what feels overwhelming is that you um you've had you sense the history and you sense therefore um uh, the the kind of accumulation of stories and life that has happened in a place and um, these are all things that are really strongly present I think in Hamlet um, you know the consciousness of um, the the uh, the people who came before him the connection with his father and then his position in that and and um, and somehow the space that he's in um, is uh, to him at least kind of slightly reflecting that or kind of questioning that at the same time. And I think an interesting thought is that the materialization of the father and the ghost of the father and the conversation he has is, is, is somehow his mind connecting those things, you know, connecting, um, uh, yes, connecting the environment and where that person was with, you know, that sense of, History and so I wanted to find a way in the set where um, uh, or the setting I find I find a better word in, in this because it's not a set of a space it's kind of you know a, a setting a location to um, to be a place where um, there isn't necessarily such a strong divide between um, now we're just in a room and now there's a ghost you know maybe the ghost is within the fabric of all of that and. Um, and it's not just whether it's the image of something that's different that he sees because it's, you know, there's something materializing, but at the same time, it's the image of um, us reflected back ourselves. So sometimes you see something because there's someone over there and it's the constant questioning of what is there, what isn't there, what is my reflection, what's shown back at me, what is something that I manipulate. Either, and the question I think always is interesting. It doesn't matter whether it's from another world or whether it is your head putting those questions and memories together into an image that we think is a ghost. Yeah, it's real to them, isn't it? It's real to the characters on stage. It is, yeah. And so I think, you know, so I always find it, yeah, I don't find it so interesting whether or do ghosts exist or not. I think what is interesting is what are the different scenarios that make human beings yeah, and put those images together and and why they're there and what they are is the interesting question. Yeah, yeah, of course. L let's look at Elsinore. Um, what do you hope an audience experiences looking at your rendering of Elsinore? Um, I mean, partly, I guess what I just talked about is in a sense, you know, a place of power and structure and a place of history. Um, uh, so, you know, that power being um, uh, hundreds of years of, of being um, the, the kind of the center point of a country and where decisions are made. And um, that, so that's one thing. And then uh, and then a bit what you touched on just now, that it's also um, it's vast and it's a place of corridors and different rooms and clear passages and hidden hidden kind of pathways and. And um, and for it to be a, a space where all of that kind of coexists and 
somehow, you know, also in the kind of um, flipping of Hamlet's mind, for example, you're not, not always quite sure where you are at first. So some of it is a discovery as in, you know, where are you at that moment? And then I think it also, I wanted it to be a place um, where it feels slightly different to different people. So if Rosencrantz and Guildenstern come for the first time, then it's quite astonishing and you're a bit lost and you don't quite know where to go, you know. And and then, uh, you know, the hope was that people like the security guards are the ones who seem to know all the passages and you don't know where they're coming from, where they've gone, but they do, you know. So, so that even within the way that we can use it and the way that different um characters use it, it it means something different and obviously Gertrude and Claudius are you know they own it they're at home in it they take up the space they come in and they take up the space and and Hamlet somehow flips in between all of that. So would it be fair to say that the space looks both timeless or you know hundreds of years old because of this stone gold surface but then in its costuming it's very contemporary so can you say a little bit more about the choices behind your costume designs and how they may have developed once you started working with the actors? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I guess, you know, the setting itself and the set is, is um, you know, like I just talked about, as something quite timeless and in a way more based on a kind of, um, uh, it's more of an emotional space. Whilst I think with the costume, it was always a really clear decision that, um, you know, we're looking at this, um, from a contemporary point of view. And then there obviously always is the question, who would these people be now? now? It's easier if you keep it in the time because it's kind of, you know, explains itself, but but now it's far more of a searching, you know, um, who, who is the college friend or university friend, you know? And and um, I think an interesting and tricky character in a way is Ophelia actually, because if you, if we, you know, in a contemporary world, we have to give her, more body and more um, uh, of her own direction in a way. And, I, you know, I, as a woman, I felt, you know, really strongly about that as well, together with the actor, I think, to kind of make sure that she um, she feels like a full-bodied character with her own life, which is really interesting then to try and find these little things that can pos- that can help to to support that, even though it might not be in the language. Could you talk a little bit more about Hamlet's costume choices? Can you describe for our listeners what choices you made there and where the inspiration for those came from? Um, right from the beginning, talking to um, Kush, um, you know, we, there was never, it, you know, the idea of this isn't that is she is she uh, uh, a woman playing a man or is she pretending to be a man? Or, none of that should be basically be a question. It's a human being playing the part of another human being, and that's all that matters. And so then, when you start looking at what she, um, what she should be wearing, you know, it's um, it's so interesting how much detail there is that actually um, does go one way or the other. You know, you have so I, I collected lots of references, and I was trying to find um, the kind of style where you basically don't concern yourself with it. You don't concern you. So it's. Yes, it, they are trousers, but she's not trying to look like a man. You know, there's not a shape that makes her look like a man. So it's something that doesn't necessarily hide the femininity, but it also doesn't highlight the femininity. And it's amazing how fine that line is. Now, this production also uses video and sound design. And could you expand a little bit on the interplay between your designs for the space and these other mediums? Yes. So how, how what is visual is enhanced by, by lighting and by sound and by video? Um, I mean, the, um, that's one of the really interesting things, I think, anyway, working in theatre and working 
as a designer is that um, when I um, when I uh, create a design, these elements like vid, you know video or lighting or or sound are already very strongly in my head, and there's a you know, and, and it always means that there's an element to your idea that actually um, you will have to at one point hand over to another creative, which is, um, it can be daunting and it's beautiful at the same time, because we all know that, you know, each other person adds a whole new world to it. So, um, and, um, but things like, you know, the idea, for example, about the ghost living in the walls, that's a very, um, uh, that very heavily relies on, um you know, imagery and a kind of technology behind it that um, that requires this, uh, other creative. And then part of that, um, part of the creation um, of it and kind of hopefully a successful creation is that you have a really good collaboration together that, you, that, that I kind of inspire hopefully other people to um, to really understand what the idea and the essence is. You know, in a, in a case like this, you know, where I work with, um, you know, Nina Dunn on the video and Aidan Malone doing the lighting, and M. Laxon, the sound, you know, amazing team where it felt it was very intuitive and very much um, uh, us kind of refining and refining the language um, uh, in order to, to create that, you know, the full-bodied vision. And um, yeah, and that is quite, it's quite an intense, but very, very enjoyable process. Anna, thank you so much for joining us today and for this inspiring and enlightening look behind the scenes and behind the ideas of Hamlet. Great. No, real pleasure. Real pleasure to do it. Thank you. How do you bring Hamlet to life for young people? How do you make it speak to our times? Well, to discuss this, I talked to Dr. Louise Owen. Louise is a lecturer in theatre and performance and director of the Theatre Studies Programme at Birkbeck University of London. She's been studying and teaching Hamlet for over 10 years, and every year she asks her students to create a new piece of theatre inspired by a moment or a theme from Hamlet. Louise, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Now, earlier in this episode, we asked a bunch of different people what Hamlet was about. If someone were to come up to you in the street with a microphone and ask you to do the same, what would you say? I would instantly panic. <laughs> that would be my first reaction. Um, what would I say? Okay, it's Hamlet's a ghost story. It's a, a love story. It's a murder mystery. It's, uh, well, in fact, which isn't really that mysterious because we learn almost immediately that, in fact, murder has been committed. So Hamlet... Um, Hamlet's father has been killed by his uncle, um, who has now married his mother. And the ghost visits Hamlet at the very beginning of the drama and mandates him to um, uh, avenge this foul and most unnatural murder. You've been studying and working with the play for 10 years now. Does it still hold surprises for you? Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> it's, 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 it's just a kind of absolutely astonishing piece of work. So what are some of those surprises? And also, do you think that is why people keep returning to this play? Because it, it keeps offering surprising new readings. You know, it keeps bringing new perspectives. Or is it because what this play has to say about the world is just never going to go out of date? I think working with Shakespeare is always really, it's, it's, it's difficult because it brings so much with it in terms of, you know, cultural 
um, yeah, cultural baggage, let's say, and also a kind of sense of status anxiety. So like, you know, there's, there's been so many, so many versions of, of, of this, this drama and, you know, it's been approached by so many different, different artists at different times and places. It's written in, you know, um, a language which is specific to the early modern period. I think, you know, it, it carries such a great weight and it can feel incredibly intimidating. Um, but in relation to kind of whether it holds up and kind of what story it's telling, I just think there's so much that's just utterly gripping in it. I mean, ghost stories, we're never going to get sick of those, number one. <laughs> we're, ne we're never going to, um, you know, not be interested um, in, uh, you know, the psychodynamics of, of family and how, and how that works you know, these um, relationships that are being kind of built and unfolded in, in, in this context will still say something to us in the contemporary, even though we're, you know, the, our own kind of lives are not being lived out in the context of a medieval Danish castle. But there's still something about the story that's really, um, that's really compelling, obviously, because people will keep returning to it. And I do think it's to do with, with, um, the, yeah, the, the excitement of it as a, as a murder mystery, as a ghost story, as a kind of um, idea of what's, what's right and what's wrong concerning, um, uh, you know, how best to act when given um, this, you know, really awful um, task. It's, you know, and when, we were, when we were speaking the other day, I was um, reflecting upon Peter Brook kind of um, speaking about his own um, approach to the play in, in, in the production that was staged in, in Paris in 2000. For him, the kind of, the key moment is when um, old Hamlet um, asks Hamlet to avenge his murder, but, but instructs him to have it not taint his mind, like have it not kind of intrude upon his, his own sort of psychic life and health, which is an absolutely impossible demand. <laughs> How is that, that going to happen? Yeah. If you could um, go ahead and murder your uncle, that'd be great. But, uh, you know, don't make a whole thing out of it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so he's been set this deeply complex and troubling task, but also Hamlet himself is this, this complex and sometimes a very troubling character. There's a, a, a great book by um, Simon Critchley and, and Jameson Webster called The Hamlet Doctrine. And in that... One of my favourite things that, that they both write is that Hamlet is not a nice guy because he is a, he's a nice guy. He's absolutely horrible. And that also maybe is, is part of the reason that it's, it's, it's so compelling is because, you know, he, he's, he's not a kind of um, unproblematic hero. He's, he's, he's pretty horrible. His behaviour in relation to Ophelia is absolutely awful. I mean, it's, it's, it's so hard to read now as well in, you know, culturally, in the kind of, you know, aftermath of the Me Too movement, et cetera, um, you know, whether, whether that's sort of sharpening attention towards, towards this or, 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 or not. But, I mean, I don't know, when I'm finding increasingly in relation to kind of um, reading the scenes in which, um, you know, Ophelia was reporting Hamlet's violent behaviour towards her and then she, where, where she's, you know, effectively deployed as a kind of, a sort of a, you know trap of surveillance um, where she returns Hamlet's letters to him and he just is just abusive towards her 
Um, and then in the the you know the play uh, the play within a play scene in which he is it, oh the language is just absolutely awful you know this kind of sexual wordplay and kind of you know really vicious violent language it's 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 horrible um, and you know it bespeaks um, you know the 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 longevity of misogyny and. Um, also, you know, the, the kind of gender relations that are being mapped out by the play. Right. So every production of the play needs to find a way to have both a critical and a creative response to it. Right. So a set of questions to explore about the play and about the world through the play. Completely agree. I mean, that that I think is, is so, so true. The staging of questions in, in artistic work has been going on since artistic work has been made. I mean, you know, for sure that, that you know, all, all art making is in its sense a kind of um, a, a, a pursuit of a question. So what are some of the questions that you ask of the play when you look at it with your students? Um, in the course of... Um, the academic year in the first term i'm using it to explore various aspects of theater practice and how they've been approached at different um, moments in history different times and places um, so you know questions around um, dramaturgy so how artists have approached the text in terms of changing it or um, adjusting um, the order of certain events within the, the arc of the narrative or um, finding ways to tell different stories in and through it. So, you know, sometimes it's a political drama, at other times it's a family drama. Okay, so Hamlet can be all of these different things, a political drama, a, a family drama, a love story, a murder mystery, where actually the mystery is solved really early on, uh, a revenge tragedy. Can you tell us more about the, the kinds of work that that has produced with your students? So I'll, I'll ask the students what, what they're feeling drawn to in terms of ideas. Um, and on the basis of what they say, I'll then go off and select um, a quotation from, from the text, you know, something concrete and specific, which then becomes the stimulus to open out lots of other ideas. So one from a, a long time ago by now um, was seems, madam, no, it is. I know not seems. So the students in, in response to... Um, to this um, created a piece called The Land of Unrest. And um, they imagined their performance as being a, um, a contemporary audience's dream of Hamlet. Um, another group made a, a piece called The Shakespeare House, an idea of, um, of, of a building being the repository of memory. Um, and this they created in reaction to the quotation, remember thee, I thou poor ghost, while memory holds a seat in this distracted globe. So, you know, this notion of memory being something which is it which exists in a kind of spatial setting you know this distracted globe can be interpreted as 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 you know the human mind but also it's it's a sort of uh, meta theatrical reference to the globe theater itself of course you know which is one of the venues in which this play was first performed um other pieces um uh, have have explored really much more explicit themes, which is to do with, with Elsinore as a governmental space and a space of surveillance. Well, let's look at those two interpretations, because earlier we heard Anna Fleischler talk about some of these ideas of memory and of surveillance as influences on her design. This idea that the castle of Elsinore is this place which holds memory in its stones, but it's also a place of spying, of being observed, this place which can drive its inhabitants to, to paranoia and to madness. What did your students find when they went down that route of interpretation? 
So there, there was a kind of real, it was a very interesting kind of um, dark and sort of paranoid piece of work um, ultimately, which was really fascinatingly kind of reflective of the darkness and the paranoia of Elsinore itself. So after 10 years of working with this play, are there still moments in it that grip you? Oh, I don't know. I mean, it's 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 difficult because, you know, I'm really wary of those kind of universalizing um, tendencies. You know, this idea that Shakespeare is relevant for all times and all places. And, you know, we've got so much to learn from, you know, the what what's what's there in the text, because it's just this kind of, you know, seat of wisdom and, you know, this kind of sort of idea of, you know, um, a, a sort of canonical text being something to be held up when actually it contains within it so much that's, that's uh, you know, pop, popular and populist in terms of, you know, uh, revenge and ghost, ghost narratives and murder mystery and all these kinds of other aspects. But then it also has this incredible kind of, um, yeah, reflection upon, upon the self and, and, and selfhood. So, um, yeah, it's both exalted and down to earth. Yes, totally, exactly. Yeah, completely. And the down to earthness is the the bit that I like the best. For the final part of today's episode, we are proud to bring you a brand new audio piece, "The Man and His Soul." When the Young Vic reopened in 2021. We did so with the production Changing Destiny. This was a contemporary retelling of a 4,000-year-old Egyptian story. And we want to continue this journey of reimagining some of these oldest sources in the world as the birthplace of drama, but also to make a link to Hamlet through themes of fathers and sons, of belonging, and of interrogating yourself. So we turn to another ancient Egyptian narrative poem called The Dialogue Between a Man and His Soul. And we asked playwright Nana Kofi Kofobor for a rapid write response to rewrite this 4,000 year old African text for now. Dad, do you understand what you did by bringing us to this country? I'm confused. I gave you and your siblings opportunities not afforded to me. Lol, that ain't true. You were a university lecturer in this country. You were educated in Ghana. You are Ghanaian, like me. You are not Ghanaian. You're British. What does your passport say? And what does the government say? What do they say on social media when we miss a penalty or we don't seem grateful enough? This isn't your land. Go the fuck. Go home. Monkeys. Black bastards. Hey, stop now. I don't like that language. But you brought us here. So this is your fault, no? Is it now? Is it my fault when this country needs someone to blame and refuses to acknowledge their own history? Was it my fault when I put a roof over your head? When I bought you clothes and paid for your school trips? Helped with university. I'm just saying. You're always just saying. You say, you say, you say. When will you listen, eh? I'm tired. Tired about what? All the advantages you have in this country. 
you want to complain and complain only to hear the sound of your own voice i suffered i struggled you went to a private boarding school in ghana which afforded you privileges people in our country do not have and because of those privileges you were able to come here and be educated again and become a lecturer at a university i still suffered how you tell me. Obviously, racism was bad. Bad? <laughs> you couldn't imagine. I was spat at on the street. I was chased down the road. Me and your uncles fought daily. I would have to be stopped and searched every time walking into that university. I couldn't afford to live on the ground, so I stayed eight miles away and I would walk every day. When I'd speak, they would laugh. Then they would ask for my notes. And this is where the problem occurs, Dad. Have things changed? Are we any better than we were? This is why I'm so fucking tired. I log onto Twitter and people who don't look like me are having conversations about people who look like me people who could be me and we don't have a voice in that conversation which means we don't have a voice at all because at the best times they don't want to hear us speak speak i am listening i love you but what is speaking to you going to solve how do you know if you have never tried you are so angry we all let go of our hate a long time ago. Otherwise, it would have eaten us up. It would have killed us. It would have stayed in our minds, our hearts. You know? What do you think when you look at me? I see my son. I see a man who doesn't know where his home is. I see a man who goes back to Ghana but is told, how can you go back to somewhere you are not from? How can you say, I'm going home, when you never live there? But the place you call home tells you, we don't love you. We don't like that you talk about your pain. We don't like that you talk about your struggle. I hear you. It's so loud and clear to me, but I feel like the struggle is beginning all over again. If you can't call Ghana your home, then England is your home. You speak their language. You eat their food. You learn with them. You speak like them. You talk like them. You are one of them. They are you. And you are them. What happens if I don't want to be one of them? What if I can't reconcile the part of my heritage and history which was broken by them? But you have said it yourself. Hundreds of years ago, when they saw us, they saw slaves. Now you eat with them. Now you are one of them. If you eat with your oppressors at the same table, does that mean you're no longer oppressed? It certainly doesn't mean they see us as their equals. Once we leave the table, they turn on their computers and share their views. Passive, aggressive views. The hatred some can have for taking a knee. A knee? To say things ain't perfect here? Then I have to explain it at work. 
I am already considered the other, and I have to explain my existence, and it exhausts me. To me, you are still a boy. Which means you have a lot of living left to do. To me, you are hardly a man. So young. You see the world differently because we felt we deserved equality. But you feel you are owed equality. Like you said, Pops, we're embedded within this society. We do everything the natives do, right? This is our society too. We kick ball for the three lions. We rap and sing and dance and entertain. We save lives with the NHS. We are lawyers, artists, lecturers. You can save a man's life and that man not understand you are a man too. Now you're listening. Now you got it, old man. We're on the same page. I don't think we are. I see this country has changed a lot. It is not perfect. I don't know if it ever will be. They don't seem to understand the damage their history and actions have done since its inception. But some try. If five try tomorrow, six try the day after. And how many days do we wait till my son's son's daughter is accepted? Is she gonna be accepted because by then she'll be so light she could pass? To have children, you have to behave. You need to stop drinking pints and start going to church. Did you find mum in church? Of course. But now look. We got divorced and she takes all my money and spends it on fufu and uh, super malt. <laughs> Sound advice, Pops. So you have children then? Where do you raise them? You want to go back home? You want to raise them there? A place where you holidayed and said you wanted to come home? You never let that go. I was 14 and everyone was having house parties and drinking pints. I wanted to be like everyone else. I wanted to go to Butlins, not... West Africa. But those trips made you who you are today, though. Of course. Then you are a son of Africa. If Africa made you who you are, then you are a child of Africa. It loves you. It knows when you step foot on her. It holds you close. But it also understands that you have to leave to come back. So many of us have nothing to give her. So we leave. So our children can help us give her what we could not. Money. Love. Power. A voice. So when I speak, Africa hears me. When you speak, Africa comes out of you. You are a black star. You are who you are. That is whatever or whomever you want to be. An African boy. An African man. The Man and His Soul was written by Nana Kofi Kofuor. The role of father was played by David Gayassi and the son by Harold Addo. You can find more information on Hamlet and Young Vic's upcoming work on our website, youngvic.org. You can also find The Young Vic on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Young Vic Theatre and on YouTube at Young Vic London. Thanks for listening. <laughs>